Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Everybody, this is James Kleiman, the managing editor at HousingWire, and we've got a special episode of HousingWire Daily for you. We've got a special guest, Timothy. Welcome to the podcast. I want to give you a bit of an introduction because this is, as I mentioned, kind of an unusual episode. Uh, so Timothy Toy is the managing broker and owner of Timothy Toy and Associates in Lake County, California, and he's also a top producing agent in Lake County, California. And, and Timothy, we are talking today partly because of your accent. Uh, you want to share <laughs> a little bit why we're talking? Well, we all have accents, by the way. <laughs> That's true. I, yeah, so I'm I'm from I'm from down under. I'm a, I'm actually a New Zealander, or we call ourselves a Kiwi, but I have experience both in the Australian and the the New Zealand market, and they're they're like sister countries. So so the the markets are very very similar. They're not identical, but they're they're similar, and and both very basically have significant differences with the way real estate is done in the US. So so let's get into that. So I was in the courtroom in Kansas City, Missouri for the Sitzer Burnett case, obviously the landmark case, and a full day of testimony was centered around this idea that consumers in the US are paying way more than they should in real estate commissions to agents and a comparable market to the US is the Australian market. And Timothy, you've done a lot of business both in California, in the U.S., but also in New Zealand and Australia. And so I wanted to talk to you about really whether you agree with that statement or you disagree. So what do you think? Is is the U.S. a comparable real estate market for residential real estate sales? There's a lot of differences. Uh, I'd start off by saying in terms of commission rates, I'd rather be selling at down under than in the US. Their rates are lower, no question, but in terms of the the volume of work and putting a transaction together in the US, it's not worth the extra commission that we typically get. So I'm saying typical here because rates are all over the map, but generally speaking, rates are higher in the US, but they're higher for a reason because there's a lot more work. So let, let's get into that. So if I'm a consumer in Australia, let's say I'm on the buy side. I am buying a house in Melbourne with, you know, let's say four bedrooms, three baths. It's probably going to be priced around, what, $800,000 or so, give or take. It's a pretty expensive market. Do I, what is the process? Do I find a real estate agent? How do I find a home? What does that look like? Start, start it off for me. Well, probably the first thing to know is you're not going to be represented as a client like you are in the U.S. Uh, you're a customer. So that's a fundamental difference uh, in that the, the commission is paid by the seller. They call them the vendor. Uh, so I'll stick with seller because we all know that. So the seller pays the commission. Uh, like they typically have been doing in the U.S., though not always, and they hire the listing agent. The, uh, the listing agent is their fiduciary or represents the seller. Now, it's uh, you can only 
uh, work, you can only see a property if the listing agent lets you. So there's not a uh, there's not an MLS like it is in the in the US. So if you can find everything for sale online through the, um, I mean they do have all the properties online like they do here, but they're uploaded directly from the companies rather than going through the MLS system. As far as I know, I don't specifically have experience in Melbourne, which is in the Victoria state, but um, so I'm speaking from my experience. So first of all, you may not be able to work with anybody else other than the listing agent. And the listing agent is not representing you. You're a customer, not a client. It's a fundamental difference. And uh, we can get into why that is. But you, you, I think if you've done real estate here, you can imagine the difference. So so if I'm, if I'm on the buy side, I probably look on realestate.au, which is owned by Move, uh, Rupert Murdoch, company and I find a listing and then maybe the agent who has the listing is going to let me check it out. Do I go to an open house? Do I, what, what does that look like on, on the buy side, even though I have no agent representing my interests specifically? Right. So you may be working with an agent. The agent's going to get, need to get permission from the listing agent to show that property. And that's up to them to whether they uh, give you. I mean, I bought a house in New Zealand just last year and I was working with an agent who was showing me houses and I saw one online that I wanted to see. And he said, sorry, I already checked that out. The listing agent won't let me show that property. So I had to break the relationship with him and go and work with the listing agent. And, and I ended up buying that house. But in the negotiation process, it was completely clear that the listing agent was not representing me. She was representing the seller and they even told, they even give me paperwork telling me that. So I was unrepresented. How good is that from a buyer point of view? <laughs> well, lucky for you, you know a lot about real estate, but the average consumer, I, I imagine, is probably surprised that inspection reports or doesn't know what to look for. Well, what do they do in situations where there is a problem or they, they just don't know how to negotiate you know, certain terms of a deal? What, what sort of recourse do they have? What sort of support yeah, do they have? Yeah. You're, you're on your own. I mean, here's the saying, puts it, puts it rather bluntly. When I was selling, we would say, our job is to tell the buyers the good news. It's up to them to find out the bad news on their own. So uh, I had never actually seen an inspection report on any property until I came to the US and, and started doing real estate here, here in 1994. I'd never seen a seller disclosure until I'd come to the US and started selling real estate here. So it's, I mean, there are, there is a, a rudimentary disclosure process. It's not as fully elaborated as it is, at least here in California. I mean, the file at the end of a closing is inches thick. Uh, the poor old trees, you know, uh, I mean, there's so much paperwork and, where, you know, where does that all come from? Well, part of it is the litigious environment that we experience in the U.S. You don't really have that down under. It's um, we're already uh, coming up with massive differences, so it's 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 bizarre to use it as a comparison without making significant adjustments. Well, let's get to one of the heart of the you know the the case in in Kansas City which is this idea of cooperative compensation. So let's say that you on the buy side do have an agent who ends up 
you know, taking you via permission from the listing agent and they do provide you some resource. Does the selling agent provide compensation to this buy side agent, buy side agent in air quotes? Yeah. So typically, yeah. So, so it's not through an MLS system. It's, it's done on a one-on-one basis. So, I mean, if I was able to get that, my buyer's agent might expect to get maybe 40% of the commission. And typically the commission is lower. So just getting into the commission rates down there. So you can find out, you can go online and search what are commission rates in Australia, different uh, states, different uh, cities, uh, New Zealand for that matter too. So it's probably going to be more like 3 to 4%. And also it's common as you get up in value that the the commission rate will be stepped down. So companies will often have a policy starting at like three or four. And then once you go get over a million, it'll be more like two and that kind of stuff. But if you go to go down under, open up a magazine, newspaper, try and find out what properties are worth, you're not going to see asking prices, except on a small proportion of them. Why? We sell by auction down there. Great way to sell, by the way, but it's not something that has been uh, adopted, generally speaking, here. I mean, we, we sell properties by auction here, but, but they're unusual. Now, when we used to list auctions down there, I'm not sure how they do it now, but we used to ask for 1% as a marketing fee up front, write us a check, give us a credit card before we even listed the property. So that would be in, in addition to the commission. So there's marketing fees, there's photography fees, there, which um, we don't charge in, in the US. You have, the, you have the fee and maybe you charge a bit more commission depending on the extent of the marketing you, you do. But we don't, at least I don't ask the seller on the, at the listing appointment to write me a check. So so that's another difference that needs to be uh, adjusted if you're going to make an asset comparison. Now, there's also GST, goods and services tax, across the board. It's like a sales tax, but it's on everything, including real estate commissions. Uh, Australia, 10%. It's a federal fee. New Zealand, it's 15 So, uh, So you pay the commission, but then you have to pay 10 or 15% on top of that. So that's another difference that uh, it has to be taken into account. So they're not, it's not apples and apples, no way. And hopefully that, that was addressed in the trial because it sh- certainly, uh, it shouldn't happen without it being, you know, being addressed, even to the extent you can't really compare them. Yeah, it was a little bit in the trial. The defendant's uh, as you may remember, mostly brokerages, right? So Keller Williams and uh, a couple other brokerage defendants and the NAR did say, hey, look, you know, if you really want to do an apples to apples comparison from another country, you really want to look at Canada, right? It's the only other country that has an MLS system like we have. It's the only one that really has realtors too, right? Um, and And then you also have to consider just the way that they transact, the way that they do business, very, very similar to the U.S. The other country that they mentioned, uh, I can't recall exactly the person, but they said is South Africa. But if you try to look at, you know, Australia, you try to look at Germany, some of the other, Japan, some of the others, I mean, it's it's night and day, you know, it's, it's, 
not a more fair system necessarily, but it's certainly one that offers a much more favorable environment for the seller rather than the buyer. Canada and the U.S. are really the two nations that have, I think, in, in many respects, an equal playing field on the sell side and the buy side. And that's because you have, you know, a, a system of representation, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, buy representation was something that, uh, in terms of being a fiduciary for the buyer, that was something I, I got introduced to coming here. And it was it was a little bewildering to begin with. but. It makes total sense. If you're buying a property, that's a big decision and you need to feel like your agent is is in your corner. And if you're talking to only the listing agent who is only representing the seller and doesn't have a, rep- a fiduciary relationship to you, you know, that's, it made me uncomfortable when I, I did it last year. And I, you know, so that's, I think that's a mature uh, development of the real estate industry in the U.S. and that I, you know, is good. It's positive, and that should not be undermined or threatened. Really, shouldn't be. There is dual agency that is permitted in a number of states. It is something that the analysts believe will probably accelerate if the Sitzer Burnett verdict does effectively end the system of cooperative compensation as we know it. Have you worked with agents who do dual agency? Did you have, I mean, generally <laughs> thoughts? Yeah, on- we do dual agency a lot. We're in a relatively rural area. And um, so let's talk about that because I think this is a issue that should be uh, addressed at the trial. I don't know if it is or not. But um, like, for example, I have a, a client of mine who's very invested in, in uh, the area up here sold him a lot of property, and he's a real estate attorney from a a city about an hour away. He said to me, I cannot, as an experienced real estate attorney, understand the concept of dual agency. And I didn't really try and explain it to him after all, he's he's the attorney. But um, but I think this, this is a really key issue relative to this lawsuit. Because you basically have the legal industry entering into the uh, the um, real estate industry. Down under, there are not uh, they're not title companies. You have attorneys; they call them solicitors, who actually do the transactions. So that's another difference, by the way. So, and um, I was I'm working here. I'm happy not to have attorneys involved in real estate. I'd much rather deal with title companies because they they tend to have a particular take on how real estate is done, and it's fundamentally different, in my view, from how real estate is done. Real estate is a cooperative exercise, and it's about two parties, consenting adults, you could say coming together and making an agreement that they're both comfortable with. Doesn't mean they get their, their, their own way all the time. They don't, but they have to be comfortable with it. Essentially, it's about cooperation. My experience, having done real estate 40 years, it's maybe 5 or 10% competition. The rest is cooperation. Now, the, the legal industry, on the other hand, is all about conflict and separation. Doesn't mean they don't come to agreements, but they come to them with the threat uh, of 
if you settle, then I won't sue you, I'll withdraw my suit or whatever. So I, th- I think this is important to be understood and emphasized uh, if, there, if the appeal goes forward to this, this uh, particular case. And that's what NAR understands. And I would suggest the legal industry, as a general rule, does not. And so that has to be emphasized. The whole thing about the clear cooperation rule was to foster cooperation because that's good for the consumer, both buyers and sellers. It's, it's about bringing people together. So um, uh, I think that needs to be understood because NAR champions it. The idea of the clear cooperation policy was to make sure maximum inventory was put out there in a cooperative way so consumers were empowered. So that if that's not understood, so, and I, I, I suspect it was not, at least by the jury, then NAR's case and the other defendants are going to be in a weakened position. When one does go to New Zealand or Australia and, and they work with the real estate agents, is there sort of an implied you know, practice of cooperative compensation, even if it isn't written in the bylaws of a trade group? I mean, is there still sort of a, a human recognition that I get paid when a deal gets done? And so do you. So let's let's figure it out. I mean, does it need yeah, to be codified? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's inherent. It's inherent to the real estate industry. If, if you know, I, I run into realtors who say, look, I'm just protecting my client. I'm like, protecting your client? Why? Are they under 18? They're supposed to be 18 to be able to buy a property. So um, so it's sort of in, inherent. And I think you'll find the top producers naturally work well with other people. And they bring that cooperative that cooperative disposition to it. Doesn't mean it happens like all that way. Sometimes you have to slug it out. But uh, but that should be a you know a default rather than a, a leading intention, and I would say that much is true in Australia, New Zealand, uh, and as well as the US. It's just there's a lot of there's a lot of other you know the rules, the groundwork, the whole buyer representation, a lot of other stuff that make it make it different. There's a lot of differences. I think one of the more interesting points to this comparison between Australia and New Zealand uh, real estate, residential real estate, and that of the U.S. is this idea that in the U.S. every consumer is paying 6% and this is what they're getting. And if you take a look at Australia, which has a functioning real estate market, the consumer is only paying 2%. But my understanding, and, and obviously please correct me if I'm wrong here, is that much of that work is not handled by the real estate agents. It's handled by attorneys and other professional services, and that yeah, when you add right. all of those services up, you're probably paying what you would on a commission. You know, in, in most cases in the U.S. And any, am I off base there? Am I? At least That's close? definitely true. Okay. It's definitely true. Yeah, we effectively do. Uh, well, we wouldn't call it legal work, but we do a, as uh, real, realtors in the U.S. do a lot of the work that solicitors or attorneys. Uh, in Australia and New Zealand uh, are doing for the client. But there's less of it altogether. And the, I mean, transaction coordinators, we, we can't operate without transaction coordinators. It's just too much paperwork. And so that's another expense, by the way, that comes off the, the, the so-called 6%, which in our area, there aren't many people getting 6%. Um, so out of that, you're paying, you're paying your marketing fees and you're paying your transaction coordinator Plus, you're doing the marketing, photography, 
And by the way, are they talking about what the, um, you know, what the lead generation Zillow and Realtor.com are charging? Did that come up in the trial? It, it did come up in the trial in, insofar as the attorney for the plaintiffs, Michael Ketchmark, said you're effectively having these real estate agents that are getting all these leads from Zillow or, um, you know, Op City or wherever, and they're basically passing on the cost of these fees onto the selling agent because they're paying out these commissions, even if they're working with a buy side agent who, you know, doesn't know what they're doing. And, 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 you know, all of these costs are basically just being funneled over to the consumer. Um, and, you know, that's one of the reasons that they have, um, in, in his view, artificially stabilized or inflated the commissions because, you know, no other industry, um, stockbrokers, for example, have seen their commissions remain as remarkably stable as that of real estate agents. And, and you know, the, that in and of itself almost suggests that there is a conspiracy. Why isn't Zillow on the stand? <laughs> the, um, yeah, Op City? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely cases out there in which, you know, Zillow's um, practices are under question. There was a, the Rex case. I don't know if you followed that one. Um, Zillow's prevailed in that one. But, you know, effectively, the idea is that all of the brokerages and the NER through this cooperative compensation rule are saying the standard here is, let's say, five and a half percent where where you are. I don't know what what exactly it looks like in Lake County. Maybe it's lower, maybe it's five. Mm -hmm. But that over the last 20 years, it's pretty much always been five. Right. And that the realtors um, enforce this you know, they self-police that they have worked in concert with the NAR and the brokerages, the broker owners, right? They're incentivized to maintain the commissions because they get a higher, uh, you know, volume if their producers are getting paid 5% every go, right? Or five and a half or six or whatever. And and that effectively that is had them out to a conspiracy. Um, my, my interpretation is quite a bit different while I was in the courtroom you know, I see individual agents that are negotiating because they themselves want to make more money and feel that they're providing full service. And if they are over, let's say they're at six and a half percent, right? And everyone else in the county is at five and a half. You're not going to do business for very long if you're charging a full, you know, 100 basis points higher than everyone else, right? So maybe you'll make one deal, but everyone's going to find out you're going to get dropped down. And it's not because their managing broker told them, hey, do it at six and a half percent, or the NAR told them, hey, you know, we want you to keep paying your membership every year. So get as much as you can in commissions. I, I think that everyone individually in real estate is incentivized to fight for their value, but it doesn't mean that they've all gotten together and said, hey, guys, like, Timothy is going to keep, you know, five and a half percent. Yeah, this is what's astounding about the, the settlement. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I just have my own experience, but having done real estate here for 30 years, I've never seen a, a single instant, not one. And I'm, you know, I'm talking hundreds, thousands of transactions. There, there has not been one instance that I've ever seen uh, agents work together to set, set commissions. It's fundamentally, uh, it's untrue. So that's what, and I support NAR for, standing up to the standing up on principles and not not going weak at the knees but um but and by the way commission rates are all over the place i mean and 
we're constantly involved in negotiating uh, commission rates. It's just a daily occurrence. And you do it when you're trying to get a listing uh, to begin with. And and then you do it when you're negotiating a sale. You're always, you're always negotiating. You're always trying. I mean, we're, we're trying to make as much money as we can. I have no apologies about that. Um, the um, And that's part of the attraction of being in real estate is that you can make a lot of money. But do you? Does the average realtor make a lot of money? You know, I... I I think it's like isn't like forty five thousand something. Whether I saw that online today, that was the average commission. So that would be realtors. Yeah, I, I mean that that lumps in a lot of part timers. You know, the the producers, right? The the people who are doing it day in day out. I, I think the average realtor is a woman in her early sixties, and and she's doing, mm-hmm. you know, probably not even a deal a month. But again, like that that is. There are probably what seven hundred fifty thousand like that who are part timers who maybe do business with a, a friend's son or you know get the odd deal here and there. The professionals that do it every day and stick with it. If you're able to survive the first couple of years, it can be a really great career. I think of it as sort of the ultimate in the American dream, right? I mean, there's no more entrepreneurial career out there, and if you're good at it, tr- people trust you. You build a network, and that network, you know, I, I mean we talk to real estate agents and they say every deal should spin off triplets. You know, like you do well by your clients and they're going to reward you because, you know, ultimately it's, it's an entrepreneurial endeavor. And and if you don't do it right, you're not going to last long. So yeah, I I don't see the conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great (laughs) to me, but it's, you have to pay the price and the price is not low. So, um, and that, that should come across. It's, it's I I don't in my area I don't believe there's any overpaid realtors. <laughs> there's there's overpaid and overworked realtors and um, uh, not they're under if anything they're overworked and generally I would say they're certainly not overpaid and some of them uh, are really underpaid. Some transactions I definitely feel like I I underpaid. But yeah, I mean, just back to the, yeah, so Op City, I mean, this is an issue that realtors deal with. I have a mature business. I don't, I don't need referrals. I have, I, you know, I have enough clients that just keep me going. Uh, but for somebody new, they need business and, and uh, Op City is charging 38%. So, uh, you know, so you know, so the effective rate that a lot of these agents are making is is maybe one percent. They may be getting one percent of that commission that might start out at three, two and a half, or whatever. But first of all, if you're in a franchise, six percent gone. If you get you're getting a lead, and these is not just ZilloRealtor.com. There's a lot of lead generation uh, services out there, which uh, you know I feel at times are predatory. And they're taking the commission out of our pockets. But if you're desperate, and a lot of realtors are desperate, then you, you're just going to take what you can get. And so that's you know up to thirty percent gone. Brokerage probably taking twenty five thirty percent. So what do you end up being left with? Maybe one percent. And then you have your insurance, right? Then you have uh, your gas costs and you know marketing costs. 
Now that doesn't go for every property, you know, I, I mean, certainly during the pandemic years, homes would go under contract in a single day. How hard did, you know, sell side real estate agents really have to work for that? Certainly on the buy side, when you have, you know, multiple offer situations, there are 75 bids that come in. I, I think you earn your money if your client ends up getting the house, but on, you know, on the sell side, did you really do that much work? I, I think. Right. Well, those are, those are the good years. Both the good years. And it balances And, out, right? you know, yeah, it, you know, real estate's a wheel. It's always turning around. And if it's it's good now, stick around. It ain't going to stay good. If it's bad, like this year has been really tough, stick around. Next year's looking like it'll be better. But that's part of the the demand that it is to, to be a commissioned salesperson. It's uh, you have to have strength of character to survive this business. Are there any other notable differences between the residential real estate market in the U.S. and, let's say, Australia? The U.S. is maybe a big bad place. You know, if there's a racket, you can you can find it in the U.S. Uh, down under, we're a little bit more friendly, a little more naive, perhaps. But the the code of ethics imp- impressed me right from the beginning. That it's an attempt to establish standards for how you actually conduct yourself in uh, in the real estate in the U.S. And I applaud the NAR, and that should not be lost. We we have to keep the, the ethical standards in real estate because there's plenty of opportunity for you not to be. And the code of ethics in and of itself, in my view, is not enough. You have to be an ethical person, which means, you know, that means you have to be in right relationship to your clients. But the code of ethics sets a bar and... Uh, and I, you know, and that's a really, really good thing. And the NAR has done that. They champion that. And they should be, they shouldn't, they, they should be applauded and they should be thanked for doing that. And they, they've been targeted a lot. Some of it's justified. I suggest most of it is not. Let me ask you a last question here. Do you feel that the NAR has been effective in fighting this fight against, I mean, we, we've only talked about one lawsuit in this conversation today, Timothy, but there are, we've counted at least 15. There are at least 15 of them now, and that's only within a month and a half of the verdict in Sitzer Burnett. There are probably going to be dozens more in, in the next year. Is is the NAR, one, is it even equipped to fight this? Uh, and two, you know, what do you think are the, the ultimate consequences of, of that verdict? They lost the case, so that's uh, a verdict enough. Uh, but I appreciate the fact that they're they're appealing. I think they're getting uh, other representation. Uh, I think the decision of like anywhere in Remax to settle was a mercenary decision rather than a principal decision. And uh, one thing I know about real estate is you have to justify what you, what you what you charge. You have to do that. I tell that to my associates. And so NAR has to do that, and they haven't done it well enough yet. Uh, On the other hand, eight people in 90 minutes or whatever it was, a couple who hadn't actually, only a couple had actually worked with the realtor. How can that be? How can that be justice? Um, So, um, but I'm afraid I'm afraid that there's unintended consequences that can occur as a result of this. And I think the DOG, which DOJ, which I understand is looking into these lawsuits, I think they're talking with Ketchmark. 
they should be talking with NAR. They are, but but they're, they're very uh, also different because we, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm afraid we're going to be going backwards, and we're actually going to destroy cooperation in the real estate industry, which benefits consumers, both sellers and buyers, and we're going to end up with more conflict and. Uh, you know, it's, it, that won't be good. So, uh, you know, I don't, th I mean, I'd rather be selling real estate in the US than I would be down under because I think it's, it's more balanced. Timothy, thank you so much for being with me today. I've learned so much about how the, the residential real estate market in Australia works. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your knowledge and your expertise and uh, hope you have a great holidays and, and everyone will catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks, same to you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.